Welcome to Force Points to the Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Erica Pierce to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Always covered in 15 minutes or less. Now, let's get to the point. Hi, and welcome back to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. This is one of your hosts, Erica Pierce, and joined, of course, by Eric Trexler. How are you doing, Eric? I'm doing well, Erica. Good morning. This is going to be a very important topic today. You are exactly right. So uh, let's let's get to it. Let's get to the point. <laughs> so let's do our, it. Our guest this week is Sarah Jones, who is uh, CEO of Inclusion Pro, um, which is a company that is focused on um, uh, HR recruiting tools, but from a technology um, technology platform, and and really focused on um, making this, the the workforce a little bit stronger as far as women and diversity and, and more inclusive. Uh, hi, Sarah. How are you doing? Hello. Uh, happy hi. to be here. Yeah, no, we're excited to hear to to have you on and to hear from you. Um, as Eric said, this is an important topic in terms of um, diversity, inclusion, women in technology, and 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 cybersecurity. And you know, one of the things that I think we've done a really good job about, and I'm going to kind of pat ourselves on the shoulder, Eric, is that um, we've had a lot of women on our podcast. Um, when you check out some other, I won't name them, cybersecurity podcasts, um, they're, they're usually their guests are, are, are primarily men because this is definitely a male-dominated field. And so I always love when we can, um, you know, when we hear from different types of people. And so we're excited to hear, uh, to talk to you today and talk about uh, just the work that you're doing in terms of um, trying to make technology and, and the cyber world and workforce more inclusive. Well, thank you. And I love that you have a wide range of people that you host because, um, you know, it's, it's important. All voices matter, right? And all pers- and there's definitely different perspectives that different people can bring and to inform how we go about, you know, creating our teams, addressing the cybersecurity issues. In fact, one fantastic person that um, I know has been an FBI forensic data scientist, right? And done this type of work and she happens to be a woman. And so we know that women have deep uh, capacity and deep talent in this area. So I love that you highlight that on your show. Well, there, there's so many, the diversity component, I mean, we, we need it. There's so many jobs open right now, Sarah. Uh, not only is it the right thing to do, I mean, the industry needs help and, and, Walking away from or shunning part of the workforce is almost ridiculous in my mind. Yeah, and if if you want to dive right into it, um, you know, I think everybody does agree that we're missing out on talent. However, um, historically, you know, cybersecurity being one of those industries has grown into a male-dominated field, and so there's a lot of work to be done to transition some of the narratives that have occupied that space so that when we broaden out the talent pool, it's not seen, it's seen the right way versus some other ways that it can be perceived by people within the industry. Interesting. So I end up doing a lot of, I'll maybe explain further and just illustrate a couple of examples of that because I think, you know, if we as leaders, you know, if, if we're leading in the cybersecurity space or in tech or wherever, if we can get ahead of it, then we can anticipate it and understand how to address this. So oftentimes when uh, organizations kind of go down this road of diversification, mm-hmm. there's a few things that happen. Um, 
one, uh, if you're, let's say, a white man in the space or whatever the predominant characteristics are, you often don't perceive those pro programs to be relevant to you, right? You okay. see them as a, a separate thing that the leaders or HRs are doing, but you're actually really not connecting with them. You don't feel actually, you know, wh why does that matter to me? Right. So that relevance piece is often missing. So what happens then is um, they're often not included in those conversations. And it becomes this kind of interesting, almost exclusionary thing that happens within organizations. Right. And if you I'm going to state the obvious, <laughs> if you leave out the rest of the company in these important conversations, it's really hard to change culture and get everybody to move in the same direction which is why I started Inclusion Pro, because I realized that some of the ways that we're approaching diversity inclusion are actually leaving out really important voices where they're not actually able to learn and understand as rapidly as the rest of the organization that is getting involved in these programs and, and coming to, to these to learn and understand. So that's one dynamic that's happening. Another dynamic that happens is oftentimes leaders will get these sort of behind the scenes, like back channel questions, right? So, you know, somebody a long timer there sees these programs coming along and they'll, you know, find that moment with the executive or the HR executive and they'll say, so, okay, so basically you're telling me I can only hire women and minorities now. And like never has that ever been said once. Right. But right. it's the perception. It's, right. it's sort of the conclusion that everybody jumps to. Right. And even though nobody has ever, ever said that at all. Um, and so this, this is why when um, when organizations are going down this road of diversification, it's really important to set a solid uh, foundation around inclusion. What does that look like? What does it mean? And how do we bring everybody into this conversation where white men are absolutely a critical part of that conversation. And we actually don't want them to be outside of these conversations. We want them to be embraced mm -hmm. in these conversations. So the historical way that we've done it has sort of always kept them out. And what I'm encouraging is a new, um, a new approach to make sure they're in and to make sure that you're having these really healthy conversations across the entire organization. Because what you're saying basically is when you're looking at your diversity initiatives, you're almost excluding a bulk of the workforce. And you're saying by saying this doesn't apply to you, this is a special effort we're going down. Um, so, so the bulk of your workforce isn't working on inclusion efforts. Yeah, and that's not to is anyone. That yeah, that's totally fair. And there's a couple of things happening there, which is oftentimes women and, you know, ethnic minorities and LGBTQ have often felt like they've had to do it alone. So they so yeah. it's been in many organizations, kind of a grassroots approach. They really are not feeling supported by the executive team, but it's kind of their signal to the executive team to say, hey, we need to really care about this. So it's often um, those groups that have sort of felt like they've had to do it on their own and kind of 
start this within an organization. So it's sort of naturally created exclusion in the way that it's organically developed. Are you seeing companies um, sort of embrace, um, I, I would say sort of, this is a little bit of a paradigm shift. Um, and especially, you know, in spaces like technology and cybersecurity, where we do know, um, it, you know, it is primarily dominated um, um, by, you know, one segment of the workforce, but we want to diversify it. And so are they embracing this whole notion of let's have, you know, very inclusionary where everyone's sort of at the table trying to figure out how we go about doing that? Yeah, there's really been a really cool shift that's been happening. Um, and I, I'm, I apologize, I didn't, I don't know this question, but are you physically, ba- I know you're, you know, a national podcast and it goes everywhere, but uh, are you physically based in a certain location? I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah. I mean, Eric and okay. I both live in the DC metro area. So that's where we physically live, but we'll have guests on from all over the world, you know, and, and so we're, we're, DC might be the best answer there. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, that's a, that's great to know. So I have built my career in the Salt Lake City area, greater Salt Lake area, and have, you know, lots of touch points with Silicon Valley and the Western sort of, um, you know, Rocky Mountain region, although love DC, been there many times. And one of my colleagues has spent a significant portion of her uh, career in DC, um, very different from Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, but I've been in this space for over 20 years. And the shift that we've seen has been phenomenal. You know, when I, I started my career as a patent attorney years ago, so I was in an industry with an engineering and a law degree, as you can imagine, with very, very few women, possibly less than cybersecurity um, and, and engineering even, right? Um, and so I, I've been in those cultures and environments where you are literally the only woman in the room. And so... If I think back 20 years ago to when I started um, doing tech and then now, and along the way, I've been able to found an organization called Women Tech Council about 13 years ago, a group of uh, leaders in the Salt Lake area that were in tech decided to start that organization. And that's now grown to over 10,000 women and men who are supporting women in technology. Yeah, there's been a massive effort around this, and it's been super cool to see. But like I said, I think in the recent years, I've, I've been seeing this real need to get very hyper-focused around inclusion because, you know, white men, they get to choose. They get to choose whether or not they are part of this conversation or they can opt to not be part of the conversation. Nobody's going to force them to do it, Right. And so I decided, look, there's a way that we can actually encourage them to be part of this conversation. And that's by reminding them that they are valued in this conversation. I know that feels very backwards to, um, you know, what some people think of, you know, they shouldn't be doing this work. But the reality is, is that, for example, in the Salt Lake City area, white men are still 95% of our tech leaders. So if you want to make movement, the answer is not to go to the 5% of women in tech. And by the way, most of them don't want to have to be the, the one holding the banner all the time, right? The answer is to spread out the work among everybody as much as possible to, to whoever will possibly get involved in this. And also recognizing that for those white men who you know, historically have not really been part of this conversation, there's a learning curve that sits there. 
And so we've got to be patient and give them safe learning spaces where they can come up to speed on this conversation because they've been out of the conversation for so long. So if you think about like, right, we cannot have an expectation that they're completely woke, that they know. And so who are going to be those people to create those bridges to help them along the way so they can sort of catch up with everybody else and then be very, very useful in helping spread out the work? You know, it's interesting you say that. I happen to be a Caucasian male and I never know when I'm pushing too hard or not, when I should engage or not, when I'm stepping Mm. over boundaries. Uh, You know, I've been the executive sponsor of Women in Security Engineering. I'm a member of Women in Technology, not to read my resume, Mm -hmm. but it's it's always a question to me, how much do I engage or not? What's my appropriate role in this equation? You know, and, and as an outsider, it's difficult. You don't know. Right. And, and so, Eric, even you just saying that and help you, have, helping people understand where the worry sits, why you're concerned about getting involved in these conversations and that you want to be, that is what I'm saying when I say your voice matters. Because if we assume you don't care, right? Or that you think you know it all or, you know, whatever. We can have all sorts of assumptions of, of what we think you think. But if if we provide a safe learning space for you to actually voice that and say, ah, you know, sometimes I try and then I'm, I'm sort of pushed out or I, I don't know if that's happened to you, Eric, but it, I hope not. Um, but, but just, okay, good. But just simply you letting people know, um, how you feel about it and that there are uncertainties there and that I, as you know, a ethnic minority female, I can be your ally in that. Mm-hmm. Right. Say, Oh my gosh, Actually, thank you for sharing that for, with me. You know, I love that you are part of this conversation. Sarah, now that you mentioned it, it did happen at another organization. I, I was the executive oh. sponsor for women in security and, um, I, I did have a woman in a group setting say, you know, you, she, she had some concerns and complaints and, and she asked why a white male was the executive sponsor. Um, so actually, now that I reflect back on that, I did. And it, it made me think and it probably it probably made me think about, you know, am I the right person for this role? Um, you know, I wanted to make a difference. I've made a difference through my hiring and management practices. But but it did that did make me think quite a bit. So, Sarah, I, I, want to, I want to ask you a question, though. You mentioned something a few minutes ago about many, oftentimes, you found yourself being the only woman in the room. Would you talk about what that feels like? I, I don't know that a lot of people, especially males, um, really even understand at, at, at the heart of the issue what that means. What does that think? What does that feel like? How does that change the way you behave, the way you act, what you do? I, I'd love to hear more there. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just go back early into my career. And now I will tell you that um, <laughs> I don't feel that much anymore, but I've also have 20 years and I have a massive network. So usually now when I go into a room, I know, you know, I'm usually not, don't feel as alone as I did. So I'm going to take every, I'm going to take you back about right. 20 years. Well, and times have um, changed. To, we, we have made progress. Not enough, mm-hmm. but some. 
Yeah, and I still think, you know, in in certain areas that are very male dominated or very, you know, white dominated, it still very much feels this way. So I think it's good for people to understand what that feels like. Um, I think, you know, when you're that person, you question if you belong there, mm-hmm. right? And it's not that you don't believe that you've earned a right to be there, but you wonder what is everybody else thinking about my right to be here. And then what you are sort of testing for is, okay, what do these interactions tell me about the way you think about me? So for example, I go into one business space, be one of the only women in the room. I'd sit down at a luncheon, a luncheon table. There's all white men around the table and none of them introduce themselves to me. And so you're in that awkward moment of, oh, I guess I got to be the one to introduce myself to them. So there's sort of a lack of empathy with them understanding you might feel awkward being the only, you know, woman or minority at that table or in that room. The second thing that sometimes happens and, you know, I call it, uh, (laughs) when I do my executive trainings, I call it, we think we're being awesome, but we aren't being awesome. And, you know, that's where those kind of awkward moments happen where you see people adjust their behavior for you because they aren't sure what to do with you, but they don't treat you like the other, the other people around the room, right? And so you see them slightly adjust their behavior because they don't quite know how to interact with you. And that's simply, they just have had a lack of professional experience working with a lot of women or people of color or anything like that. And so they, they make an, you know, initial, (laughs) you know, snap judgment visually. And then you notice their behavior will alter because they are uncomfortable with you, but they are trying so hard to be awesome. So again, another sort of awkward moment where, you know, they're trying, they're not doing it well. And yet you're not in a position as that, you know, one of only in the room to pull them aside, say, Hey, so, you know, um, I know you were trying to be awesome. I know you're trying so hard, but like, just treat me like everyone else. Right. (laughs) Um, And those are really hard. And so that's why you keep having that happen over and over and over again, because who's the, who's the person that's going to pull that person aside? Like when my black friend goes into the room and he goes to shake hands and they try to give him a bro handshake. And he's like, huh? Yeah. You know? I know what you mean. So how does that, how does that change the way you act then? Right? Because there's a cascading effect here, I would imagine. Exactly. Yeah. It's a signal, right? It's like, oh, hmm. you, have, you haven't worked with a lot of people that are different than you. Right? And, and the real truth is, is, Actually, we all just want to be treated the same. And that's sort of the ultimate irony of this whole conversation. Women, people of color, LGBTQ, they actually don't want anything different. Right? They want a great job, great opportunity. Because we're people who came to work to do a job. Exactly. And we actually don't want, in the work setting, we actually don't want our characteristics to be the focus. So when I'm in a work setting, I happen to be... uh, I happen to be Korean, but I was raised by white people. I'm adopted, right? So in the work setting, it's incredibly weird for me to pe- have people come up. They find out I'm adopted from Korea and they'll be like, oh my gosh, I love kimchi. Oh, gosh. And I'll be like, that's weird. 
um, because they haven't gotten to know me at a level where that type of conversation level. makes sense. Right. Well, you know, it can make sense if I choose to make that part of the conversation, but it, in most business decisions, which is where inclusion actually happens, it usually has nothing to do with your race, gender, or sexual orientation, or any other characteristic. It has to do with bringing your best ideas to solve the business decision. Mm-hmm. And that's actually where inclusion lies. So when I am working with leaders, what I'm teaching them is that the behavior set changes from a hyper-focus on diversity or a hyper-focus on same like-minded thinking to a totally different set of behaviors. And that's where what we haven't really understood very well is that when you have both inclusion and diversity happening really well within an organization, you're actually not focusing on somebody's diversity characteristics. And that's what we often... You're more focusing on on their diverse backgrounds, their experience, their education, their capabilities, what they bring to the table to work, essentially solve those problems, do whatever that work project or, or effort is, right? Yes. And, and to be clear, when it becomes highly relevant, it should be discussed in a spirit of authenticity. So for example, if there are ways that the culture is being created or the way that, um, you know, cause culture is made by <laughs> the way we decide to make decisions. Right. And a lot of times there's bias baked into those processes. So when we are, you know, taking a look at that and saying, wait a minute, for example, um, our candidate pool is very, it appears to be very narrow, right? Then then all of those characteristics can be very relevant in saying, hey, we'd love to make sure we understand what's going on. And if you have perspectives around what we're doing that are accidentally narrowing the talent pool, I'd love to hear them so that we can understand what we need to change. And so at that point, you know, my gender might matter where I say, oh, well, let me just give you a perspective, a women's perspective of what's turning them off from even applying at our company, right? Or people of color or, you know, uh, people with disabilities, anything like that becomes very relevant. And um, you want to provide safety for those type of conversations to authentically happen. Okay. So Eric, I want to switch slightly. Are we getting better? I know you do a lot of work with millennials. You know, it's kind of your area of focus. Are we getting better? Well, and that actually, Sarah, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about, especially with the work that you're doing with the Women Tech Council. Um, you know, a lot of the things we're talking about, um, myself also being an African-American woman, I've, I've experienced a lot of the things that you talked about. But how, what are we doing for to um, help the younger generations that are now coming up, that are, be, that are our leaders of today and tomorrow, um, to encourage them to um, both think about inclusion from how they interact with others, as well as how they respond to it? Um, I, I think especially in the, the tech and excuse me, the tech world and and the cybersecurity world, it's a very intimidating space. Um, And so I don't know if that's something that you guys are having conversations about, especially um, with the organizations that you're involved in, in terms of this this next generation. um, So we can, you know, we do see um, meaningful change happen. Yeah. So actually, we're we're doing more than having conversations. We are actually doing. (laughs) And so and that's one of the most exciting things that's happened through Women Tech Council and through our partnerships with industry. 
So over the last seven years, Women Tech Council has grown a program called SheTech. And it's about uh, that exposing girls to careers in STEM. So STEM broadly, right? Science, technology, engineering, and math. Cybersecurity being one of those important fields, engineering. And we, we tend to focus on those disciplines that have low represented representation of women. So for example, life sciences has plenty of representation with women. We're not, you know, as concerned about those fields. Um, it's really the ones that tend to get low, low percentage of women. Um, and we've been able to build a program over the last seven years to bridge um, specifically addressing that belief system of do I belong in these fields, um, bridging for these high school girls um, their belief systems. So we do that in a couple of ways, which is we have a program called SheTech Explore Day. Um, SheTech is actually a year-long program. So um, throughout the year, we will interact, the girls will interact with people in industry and come to events where they're constantly interacting with industry. And that's the big key to it is, is having them actually see lots of examples of women in industry, not just one, but like literally hundreds of examples. And then we have what's called SheTech Explorer Day. And SheTech Explorer Day is a one-day, very large event that goes from like 9.30 to 2.30. And it brings together all these girls from across the entire state of Utah. So I want you to envision 3,000 high school girls together on a single day with 500 industry mentors that come spend the day with them. It is... If, if you've been in a field <laughs> where you have we not seen a lot of women hacking, in tech, yeah. it is both awe-inspiring and just amazing to see that many girls who are excited to be there and to learn about STEM. And they'll do workshops. We have this huge uh, sort of trade show floor where the girls will go and explore around all these different booths and different examples of STEM projects. And it's all hands-on learning. So we don't want to do the boring lecture thing. We really insist that our industry mentors that come and teach these girls do hands-on fun STEM projects. So it's, this, it's our way of really getting these girls to be inspired with this idea that STEM is actually everywhere. Right. So when they think about cybersecurity, um, it's because, you know, if you think about ninth grade through 12th grade girls, their heads aren't really in a space where they can completely grasp what cybersecurity is. But if we can give them a fun hands on project that illustrates, oh, let me teach you how to hack a cell phone or, yes. um, you know, whatever. You know, we don't want to teach good hacking. I mean, yeah. um, <laughs> um, <laughs> ethical thank you exactly but if we can inspire them and show them simple ways that they can connect in the world where their head is at right now then awesome. they start to see like oh oh this you know it's not as far of a stretch the other thing we do for them during the summer is we do an internship program where we take them to different tech companies through the summer and so you know if by the time you you've done with an internship program through women tech council these girls have visited you know, 10 to 15 different companies. So that belief system is cemented more and more. The other thing we tell them is, you know, we don't, we don't expect you all to get computer science degrees. Like a lot of times we're so focused on telling girls what degree they should get. What we've shifted to is 
more of an understanding of you are probably going to find something you are passionate about and STEM will be there in some form. If it's fashion, dance, music, sports, um, theater, whatever it is, STEM is there and it's revolutionizing every single industry. You can still be passionate about something that you want to do and then find a way for tech and STEM to just, you know, to innovate around that in your field of practice. That's fantastic. I mean, the work that you're doing, Sarah, I mean, it's it's really important. And I'll say too, I think the, um, as you said, you're going beyond conversations, but I also think you are sparking um, conversations that are not always easy to have and can, you know, make, um, can seem uncomfortable, but I think it's important to be uncomfortable sometimes and have those conversations. So thank you um, so much for what you've shared with us today. Oh, thanks. And I, I did want to mention that um, the SheTech program, which is super cool, um, it, it's it's actually amazing to see impact. I was talking to the University of Utah Engineering Department, and they said over the last three years, their percentage of female engineering graduates has increased by 30%, over 30%. So we start to see, right, this massive impact across the our region when you have all these industry people come in and support these girls' dreams. Um, we also have, just you know, just so you know, we also have a SheTech version in Idaho, in Boise, in Denver, Colorado, and also Tucson, Arizona. Fantastic! And I know there's, um, you know, other other states um, across the country are doing similar things. So I would certainly encourage all mm-hmm. of our listeners to um, to reach out and to learn more and to continue this this important dialogue. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Sarah, so much. Again, we appreciate your time today. Um, and, and we, again, we appreciate your insight. That'd be great. And, uh, and thank you to all of our listeners out there that continue to join us each week. So please let us know um, what other topics you'd like to hear us talk about. Please subscribe to the podcast and also please share it with a friend. Um, and uh, until next week, to, this has been To The Point Cybersecurity. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store 